forgotten lore. Is it coming through? Are you all good? You know what, it doesn't matter, as long as it's recording, because I'm hearing what Discord is hearing, and I think it's coming out of the built-in audio, but it doesn't matter, because... That's what matters. Um, that's what matters. That's what matters. This episode is all about what matters. <laughs> and this time I'm not going to forget to introduce us. Uh, welcome to Forgotten Lore. I'm Kevin. I'm Riley. And I'm Ainsley. And today on the show, we are continuing our invasion series with part two. Um, last week, uh, last, well, not last week, but in part one of this series, we <laughs> reacquainted you with Urza, Baron, and the crew of Weatherlight. We also introduced Tabo Tavik, the ruthless Phyrexian commander who answered only to the Evancar himself. Uh, and we, we're going to pick up right where we left off. So still in the midst of the early stages of the invasion, Benalia City fell. But Benalia City wasn't the only location on Dominaria the Phyrexian Armada assaulted. They were very invasive. It's, well, it's, it's glistening and oil for you. <laughs> <laughs> While Weatherlight's crew was getting acquainted with Tabo Tavik, and if anyone can let me know exactly how to pronounce that, I would appreciate it because it's a T-S. And for us English speakers, um, double consonants can be difficult. Uh, or it might just be like Sabo or just Tavo. Like we have some, uh, there are some names that are just, if it's like T-S, it's just like Sang, like T-S-A-N-G. It's just Sang. Maybe it's like Tybo, like I'm Billy Blanks and this is Tybo. Remember those commercials? <laughs> I do. I, yeah, those had quite an effect on me. <laughs> all the punching all the old, in, the, in, the old, in the living room and the old people would yeah. be doing it because they could it's like it's for every age yeah but it was just for them because they're at home all day doing Taibo <laughs> so um, while that was going on in, uh, in Benalia City uh, Multani awoke in dread and uh, I know my fellow hosts probably remember Multani. We were talking about him before we started recording, how chunky he can be. Um, oh, yeah. But um, if, in case you don't, he was the Maro sorcerer of the sentient Yavamea forest, meaning that he could see and feel everything that occurred there. And he was thick. He could be thick. He definitely could be. He could also be thin. Whoa. Yeah, like a, a skinny king. <laughs> that's, ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, chunk king. <laughs> He also had quite a bit of control over the non-sentient flora and fauna in Yavimea. Sorry, the cat's getting in the way. And uh, just <laughs> as a small refresher, he was first introduced in our Time Stream series when Urza traveled to Yavimea to retrieve the Weather Seed, which would become the living hull of Weatherlight. But it wasn't as easy as picking up a plant at your local garden center. Oh, stop it. <laughs> once Multani, which actually can be pretty difficult. Yeah. Um, once Multani had the planeswalker in his grasp, he imprisoned Urza and tortured him for destroying Argoth. You know what? Actually, speaking of garden centers, I have uh, I have a thing with, with Home Depot. You got a beef? I got a beef. Air your beef. And they have... So they have their aisles, right? And they're numbered. And then they have like the bays in the aisles. And when you look up something online, it tells you what aisle and what bay in that aisle it's in. So you can just check and then you can go straight there, get it, leave the store. I right? Like That's that. how I shop. And in the summer, when they have the garden center open, they have extra aisles. But in the winter, those aisles still stay on their website. And they don't – They I'm sure they reconfigure physically. But you go there in like February and it's giving you aisle 60 – 
There's only aisle 60 if the garden center is open. So oh. do better, Home Depot. Then you then you, then I have to speak to a stranger to find my thing. And that's exactly what I was trying to avoid. Yes. Yeah. Especially, if, like, I mean, first you have to find them because they like to hide. They do. They love to hide. Yeah. I would hide if I was in retail. Absolutely. No, one day stores are just going to be, like, little artificial intelligent robots that just, like, rove the aisles. And you go in, you know exactly where your stuff is. And if you don't know where it is, you go over to the guy and you're like, where's this? And he's like, it's an aisle. 50. He's like, beep, boop, beep. Yes. And you know what he's saying, just like the people in Star Wars knew what R2 was saying, even though, like, how would you know? <laughs> right? Wow. Just like that. Just like yeah, that. yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and actually, when I used to work at a photo lab in a Walmart, they always wanted us to keep our vests on when we went to the front of the store to the back of the store in case um, customers had questions. But we would always take them off. Because we didn't know where anything was because we worked in the photo lab. Right. But they were always like, keep it on. keep." And then you'd get, you'd have to keep it on and you'd, they, people would ask you things. And I'd be like, look, I can either look for it while you follow me or you can just look for it yourself. And then you got in trouble once for saying that to a customer. Well, I didn't say it in those exact words, but yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, getting back to the story here. So Urza was imprisoned. Uh, by Multani for destroying Argoth, uh, which um, and Multani imprisoned him until he saw through his connection to Urza's mind uh, who their true enemy was. Then he set Urza free and allied himself with the Planeswalker against Phyrexia. A thousand years after that, he trained Miri, Raphelos, and Gerard in the ways of Maro sorcery while he prepared Yavimea for the Phyrexian invasion. R.I.P. Miri and Raphelos. Oh no. <laughs> I was going to say, they trained your cat, Riley? Raphelos? My cat? No, your cat, Miri. <laughs> your cat, they're Miri. Both, they're both dead. <laughs> yeah, well, Miri, my cat, Miri, is not dead. That's good. No, no. And hopefully she lives a long and healthy life. Hopefully. I mean that. Yeah. I mean that. <laughs> so um, getting back to like the, where we are in the story currently, uh, Multani awoke to three Phyrexian cruisers cutting a path through the clouds above Yavimea. One of them deployed minute spores that converted many of the plants to living rot, corrupting whole acres. But it was more than that. Multani could feel an intelligence controlling the cancer. Was it an AI robot? No, it was rowing a... the aisles of Home Depot. <laughs> Whoa! No, it was it was a it was a resurrecting plague. Oh, that sounds much worse. <laughs> he felt the forest life becoming an alien unlife. Oh, yeah, that's pretty shit. That sounds wicked. Hey, hashtag J Robert King. Yeah, man. Multani's mind darkened as he seeped down through ancient wood and spread his soul in vines and tangled bows he wanted to reside in every tree every pulsing heart i mean who doesn't right it was painful to be stretched so thin to feel the trembling terror of the forest once he did that though he sensed his mother watching the great forest god gaia he began that's funny <laughs> What's funny? Oh, I just think it's fun uh, that there's a Gaia and a Miri, and they're both members of <laughs> Riley's family. <laughs> both those names. Yeah, spelled but differently, though. Spelled differently, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's spelled differently. <laughs> <laughs> 
he begged her to save the forest, but no reply came. Kind of like a regular god. So he withdrew, no longer in every strand of cellulose. Now he saw only the circling vortex of ships above. All the ones we mentioned earlier emerged from the portal. Or last episode emerged from the portal. He watched as they descended on the forest, and without the help of Gaia, he took matters into his own hands. First, he sent his mind into the elven cities in the canopy, along with fey and fairy armies. They suddenly knew all he knew and prepared for all-out war. Then he spoke to the great serpents and fishes of the forest, inciting <laughs> a new definition of hate in them. And you don't want to do that with fish. Here, fishy, fishy, fishy. <laughs> fish are already just filled with hate. I'm then, gonna make these fish angry. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of Swedish fish, you have hateful fish. That'd yeah. be good. Like it's uh, uh, what is it? Maynards? Get on that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, like then cinnamon, all like hot cinnamon. <laughs> Ooh, yummy. Then all manner of forest creatures <clears throat> to defend the forest. He knew even the most dangerous of them were merely predators. But concerned, wounded, with death inevitable, every creature will attack. That's a good lesson for all of you. Don't don't back anyone into a corner. They get desperate. So Multani infused every last one of them with the surety of their doom and was assured that every last one of them would fight to the death. Oh, no. And so they did. The doors of the bottom of the cruisers opened and thousands of leathery-winged Phyrexian troops dropped into the sky and into the forest. That's when Multani realized Gaia had heard him. The tangled roots, reaching far out into the salty sea, moved. They slid across each other with the ease of snakes. <laughs> Inexorable knits... <laughs> Inextricable knits untied themselves. Oh, I gotta get these sweaters <laughs> off me! <laughs> Somebody tied them. knitted sweater! <laughs> roots reached out like grasping fingers. All around the island, fibrous hands grasped Phyrexian troop ships. Some were simply crushed. Others were impaled along with monstrous passengers. More still struck the crafts down like a hand swatting a bug. Not a single Phyrexian reached the safety of the shore. Those that survived the initial attack were pulled beneath the waves to meet the beasts that waited there. Oh, boy. Then the waters bristled with other defenders. Sharks gorged on Phyrexians, but not just them. Giant squids, stingrays, barracudas, and dolphins. And angry fishes. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, they're getting angry. <laughs> Merfolk spreading Phyrexians... Merfolk spearing Phyrexians with their tridents could also be seen in the violence. Then Multani focused on the flying troopers. He took control of the giant trees and swatted the Phyrexians from the air the same way Gaia had in the sea. Multani wasn't able to stop them all, and the fighting continued in the canopy between elves and Phyrexians. That's when he noticed a group of elven children fleeing a Phyrexian mob. He pulled his mind from the trees and reassembled himself to run after the creatures. He could only kill one or two at a time, he thought. Then he realized something and immersed himself back into the forest. He spread inward along sap lines, up through a flat bowl and twisted girdle. <laughs> Spreading through a meaty branch, he possessed it. What? <laughs> this is just... I mean, it's a mixture I mean, of my words and J. And Robert his, King. Uh, sure, you know, yeah. and I'm trying no, to... No, you're painting a picture. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a meaty picture. It's a good meaty yeah. picture. <laughs> the colossal thing swung downward and struck the Phyrexian mob, hurtling them into the canopy. Then he lifted the bow again and brought it down to crush them. 
Multani reconfigured himself and watched as the trees dripped with glistening oil. Score one for Yavimea. What? Meaty. Yeah. So that nice brings a throbbing <laughs> branch. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the next theater of war. The Phyrexians were deploying troops. Zalfir. By this point in the story, not much time had passed since the end of the Keldon conflict we discussed in our prophecy series, and Teferi was still very much interested in protecting his people and less interested in participating in Urza's war. Baron arrived near Zalfir to find Urza and Teferi watching three more newly opened portals, waiting for Phyrexian ships to begin drifting through. Sorry. Uh, Baron filled them... Baron filled them in on the battle of Benalia while they waited. His Metathran fleet had been crushed with only a small squad of hoppers surviving, or baskets, from our last episode. Right, the baskets. <laughs> the rest had sacrificed themselves downing cruisers and debilitating plague ships, but hey, they were bred to fight and die. The Sarans had, fed, had fared far better, but only one in two angels perishing. Baron eventually closed the portal when the fighting veered near enough to it that he could send healing magic into the hole in the sky, sealing it and ending the air battle, but utterly spending all he had in the effort. It's just like, man, I'm spent. So he and what was left of his forces withdrew to the next rendezvous, and he went to meet the two planeswalkers. And that's when Phyrexian cruisers, plague ships, dragon engines, and a new class of sleek bowed vessels called dragon boats began to emerge from the ragged tear in the sky above Zalfir. But it wasn't just the three men against the armada, for Teferi had brought with him a contingent of white-robed archmages. Ooh. Above them moved gossamer streaming sorceries, mistmoon griffins and giant eagles, angel warriors and armored pegasi, summoned creatures, ideals made material. Ooh. The mages guided even more summoned beasts against the mechanical invaders that descended on them, and the three men watched Phyrexian vessels torn to shreds. As Baron watched the sky battle, he asked Teferi why the ships didn't simply land and crush the mages. Teferi explained that he'd enchanted the space a mile or so above Zalfir by reversing gravity, so even as Phyrexian ships were disabled, they simply floated upward further into the sky. All right. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's magic, right? Oh, I just turn off gravity. <laughs> <laughs> He explained that it was uh, he explained that it was a simple enchantment, but a draining one. Eventually, one of the ships would crash into Zalfir, contaminating it, which is where Urza came in. They couldn't simply travel to Wrath to destroy the portal ship, as they were warded against the artificial plane. Teferi explained that they would have to planeswalk into the portal and then back out again, repeating the process until the spatial temporal fluxes melted the device down. Urza's response. Urza's response was curt and quick. The backlash will kill us and everything in a hundred mile radius. I've worked out a spell to draw off the energies. A most impressive spell. I can personally vouch for the safety of my people. Oh, and you'll survive too, Urza. Eyes blazing red, Urza barked. Let's walk, pupil. Rough! <laughs> yeah, we did bark. <laughs> my feet they are barking. <laughs> <laughs> they traded looks, then they were gone, then back again, and so on and so forth. As Baron watched the portal, it seemed to be boiling. 
The energies in the black space crisscrossed and reversed while grinding teeth of magic chewed an emerging cruiser to shreds. Faster and faster, the planeswalkers flashed as what appeared to be a new sun was born above Dominaria, and Baron feared all of Zalfir would be consumed by it. Then it was over. Neither blinding fire nor black portal shone in the sky. Neither Phyrexian fleet nor white flocks, flocks circled there. Which makes me think of, uh, I recently saw a picture of Callista Flockhart and Harrison Ford together just like out on the town. She is looking like a skeleton lady. That can happen. That can happen. That can happen. To like older ladies who are quite thin. Like yeah, if, you need that like face, the, the fat. face fat. Yeah. Or if you like lose a ton of weight, like Matthew McConaughey or Christian Bale, like they've lost, you, you lost lose that face, face fat. fat. You can't get that face it fat back. Come back. No. Yeah, so guys, get your checkups. What are you saying? Okay. <laughs> What are you even talking about? Keep, keep that pudge up. <laughs> I'm sure Callista Flockhart looks beautiful. She is beautiful. I'm not saying she's not beautiful. I said she looks like a skeleton woman. Okay. Okay. Like That's... a beautiful skeleton woman. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My bad. I mean, Harrison Ford's having a good time. Whatever. He still looks great. Does he? Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your he's, middle namesake. He's doing an Indiana Jones movie. That's right, he is. Uh, he's doing an Indiana Jones? Yeah, they're doing a fifth one. Like like how they redid Top Gun, and they're like, this was fun, so we could probably do this. I think so, but I don't think it's going to be successful like Top Gun. Because mm. that movie broke a bunch of records. The new like, Top Gun? Yeah, like financial records. Well, yeah, everybody was like very popular. losing their juice. I don't get it. it. I still haven't seen the first one. I just, I love Tom Cruise, but that or like um, Days of Thunder, I just, I don't know. I have no interest. Are they both airplane movies? No, Days of Thunder, I think is a racing movie, but I don't know oh. what they're racing. Is Tom Cruise in it? Yeah, he's the star. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was trying to figure out the connection. <laughs> but um, anyways, anyways. Uh, so, right, this, uh, they, they closed the portal, and uh, Baron was pretty impressed, and um, so were the archmages, uh, as they, and they actually began to applaud uh, their protector's abilities. And then Teferi suddenly appeared next to Baron and planeswalked him high above Zalfir to where Urza waited. He asked what Teferi had done with all that power, and Teferi explained that he was using it for the final measure he would need to complete the spell that was at that moment triggering below them, the one that would keep his people safe from the invasion. Ah. Below them, Zalfir shuddered as every stitch of the nation shimmered white, then all was subsumed in a great colorless grid as though the land and the plants, the animals and the people were being caught in a vast blueprint. If spells can make ideas into reality, they can make reality into ideas. Profound. Excuse yeah, for sure. The transformation parsed out every molecule of Zalfir. Lines fused, grids merged, and for one dazzling moment, all the colors combined into a blinding radiance. With a flash, Zalfir was gone. Where it had been, only a red afterimage remained in Baron's eyes. Kind of like when you turn off a light after you've been looking at it. Yeah. Or remember those Applejacks commercials where there was like a dot in the middle of the screen with like red circles around it and they had you stare at the dot and then the red disappeared and then there'd be green circles? I don't. And I also don't know if that would have worked on me. 
No, you're colorblind a little well, bit. Well, you don't have to rub it in my face. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't remember that commercial, but I also forgot about Apple Jacks. But now I remember. <laughs> I had also <laughs> forgotten about Apple Jacks. That's so funny. A friend of mine just recently mentioned Apple Jacks <laughs> in like conversation. I was like, oh, yeah, Apple Jacks. <laughs> yeah, those <Fun>. things. <laughs> they have Count Chocula out this time of year and only this time of year. Oh, really? Yeah. The, okay. the rest of the year they don't have it so stock up what about, never never what about, like, never had berries you've never had count chocula no it's so good it's like <clears throat> it's like lucky it's... charms but the bits are like uh cocoa puffs oh that sounds better than lucky charms so good yeah lucky Anyways. charms are nasty no yeah no, the, they're good the bits are bland yeah they're the bits bland. are bland but you don't the thing is too like i am a non-milk cereal eater like i don't do milk with cereal because I don't like that you have to it, – it puts a time frame on eating the cereal. I don't like that. I feel pressured to eat the cereal before it gets soggy. And so, and it gets soggy fast. And you have to keep track of which cereal gets soggy the fastest. And it's just – it's a mess. Oh, man. I want some counter you, you know, there's, yeah. there's bowls but that, that folks designed where you can have, like, milk in one half and cereal in the other. And you just dip oh. the cereal in the milk. That's really <laughs> smart. Like a chip and dip. Yeah. yeah. A chip and dip. <laughs> you know, where you... Know it's, 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 well, it's one bowl, and then you have the big receptacle for chips, and then you have a smaller one for mm-hmm. dip, but it's all one, you know, piece of ceramic bullshit. I saw a Pinterest hack where you take, like, a wine glass that has, like, a long stem, and you put it, or any glass with a stem, you put it in the bowl, and then you put chips around it, and then you put dip in the glass. Like, you could do a martini glass. Oh, and That's then you smart. don't need to buy a special bowl with an attachment that only has one purpose. That'd be a good for a shrimp cocktail because I don't like my shrimp in the sauce. That's what I don't like about shrimp cocktails. I want the <laughs> shrimp and the sauce separate. And then I will dip at my leisure. Dip at your leisure. Yeah. We are way off. Okay. We're, we're, we're going to get – so um, Teferi had just um, basically phased out Zalfir. So um, – Baron's Baron's eyes uh, after the Applejacks thing. Baron's eyes adjusted to see a black wound the size of a great landmass, which was bedrock. Uh, Teferi had taken the entire peninsula, a mile above it and a mile of rock beneath. The ocean stood still for a moment in walls around the bedrock until water cascaded into the deep gash as Urza gazed in silence at what Teferi had done. Baron had only one question. What did you do? I saved my people. Yeah, it's my Baron voice. (laughs) You've killed them. He's old. (laughs) No, they will return when the world is safe again. For them, not a moment will have passed. There will be tidal waves. Thousands will die. Millions have been saved. This is how I save my people. This is how you and I differ. And with Zalfir safe, Urza and Baron headed to Talaria to prepare for the next stage of Dominaria's defense. I like how in like our lore series, um, going back a ways, you know, like we've had stories you've read where like Teferi was like a teenager. Yep. And now he's like, I'm big. I'm a man. I'm a man, baby. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a planeswalker man. Yeah. Just like sh- <laughs> phasing out entire continents. Stopping gravity and shit, you yeah. know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he's powerful. I also like that the heading of this next section is called Prison Break, the movie. Which is really what it should have been. I mean, after season one, what are we doing here? 
Yeah. Like, they broke out of prison. It's absurd. Name the show something else. The first season was great. Well, I wouldn't go that far. But... I thought it was real fun. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> Sorry. Jeez. Hey, an opinion. you know what? We all like what we like. You know, I like 90 Day Fiance, so... Did you watch that? I wa- Did you watch I, that in secret? This I, is the first I'm hearing of this. I, it's not secret at all. I don't watch it... <laughs> In secret. And I actually don't watch it. What I do is there are YouTubers that make uh, like compilations of the episodes as they go and they make fun of the stuff. Okay. That's what I watch. Okay, yeah. yeah. But it basically feels like the watching best the best parts of the show. Yeah, yeah it's that's so, so funny. Way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so by that point in the story, almost two days had passed since the first Rathi portal opened near Benalia and it was full dark when Weatherlight and her crew were arriving at the Benelish penal colony I mentioned last episode. Full dark, no stars. That's right. That's a good uh, book of short stories. They had parked Weatherlight out of sight and approached on foot, disguised as members of the Benelish military. They were admitted and met by the warden, whom they presented with a phony rite written by the recently deceased Radis Capuchin. It outlined the invasion and Weatherlight's need for the warriors imprisoned in the facility. Unfortunately, the warden didn't buy any of it and ordered his men to seize Gerard and his crew. Wanting to avoid a similar situation to the one they'd found themselves in in Benalia City, Gerard ordered his crew to attack and they easily bested the 20 assembled men. Then they explained to the prisoners what they'd come for, and the prisoners agreed to help in exchange for their freedom, assuming most of the thousand men wouldn't survive the Phyrexian onslaught, Gerard agreed. It's good, uh practical yeah, probably die anyways. <laughs> yeah so it's like yeah uh, it's no big deal as they were leaving the penal colony headed for weatherlight they looked up and saw the lights of hundreds of phyrexian ships creating a ghastly constellation i guess tabo tavik had had some, had had the same idea as the blind seer and had delivered a portion of her fleet to wipe them out as the assembled gazed at the ships hovering less than 100 feet above the prison yard Hundreds of black cords uncoiled from the rails of the cruisers. They seemed like the deadly tentacles of enormous black jellyfish. Poor jellyfish. (laughs) They get a bad rap. They're pretty. They are. Except when they wash up on shore. Yeah, then they just look like like a pile of muck. Down those cords slid Phyrexians, and Gerard ordered the prisoners to fight for their lives. You gotta fight for your right. To live. To live. (laughs) (laughs) What ensued was a slaughter similar to the one that had occurred in Benalia City, and Tabo Tavik arrived as Gerard and his crew were heading for Weatherlight in a go-for-broke escape. Not every member of the crew had entered the prison, though. Orem, Weatherlight's healer, was waiting on the ship's gangplank at that point. She had lowered it after the first... 50 fleeing prisoners had bloodied their fingers clawing to get aboard. Oh. Yeah, that always gives me like the heebie-jeebies, like thinking about the, uh, like grievous wounds don't bother me so much, but it's like people clawing at something and like having their fingernails ripped off from the clawing. Yeah. Or, yeah, just like torture stuff. I can't do, I I hate torture. Yeah, no. I look away, like I I watched The Gray Man recently, which is like a fun romp, but it's kind of a piece of shit. Um, And uh, there's one part where, uh, well, spoiler alert, one of the characters gets his fingernails ripped off, like with pliers while his hands are tied to a chair. And it's just, I just had to do like the 15 second skip through that because, you know, I just, I can't. Yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> so um, by that point, so after after she lowered the gangplank, Weatherlight's uh, they they quickly ran on board, and, and Weatherlight was holding about six hundred of the prisoners, which filled almost every hold of the vessel. And that's when the blind seer informed her that Weatherlight could not safely carry any more weight, and urged her to lift off. Gerard, Sisse, Hannah, and Tongarth were still inside the prison walls, but the seer was right, and she ordered Karn to lift off. Yeah, Karn, get it. Giddy, giddy. I should do. I should pretend that like there's a line coming up when I take a pause like that and be like, Riley, this is your line. No, don't be yeah. mean. <laughs> Riley, you're right. Riley he, deserves better. He does. <laughs> that's the editorial stance of this podcast rally deserves better period <laughs> the prison was located at the edge of a cliff face and uh in gerard sisse hannah and tongarth's fervent escape from the phyrexian horde and sabo tavik who'd by that point joined her ground forces they found themselves at the edge of that cliff facing off against the spider woman once again Instead of engaging her, though, Gerard and his crew jumped off the cliff to a waiting weatherlight hovering below. With her crew safely aboard, weatherlight streaked into the night. <laughs> I don't know why I wrote streaked. <laughs> like naked? I guess so. Like I'm naked. But not all the members of Weatherlight's crew escaped unharmed. It seemed that Hannah had contracted a Phyrexian plague sometime in the previous two days, and it was beginning to take its toll on her. Oh, no. And before you guys ask me why I haven't mentioned this earlier, this is how the book is. It just She just suddenly had some kind of Phyrexian plague, so... It's not like... I went know, back Hannah's... and tried to find yeah. it. I was like, what's going on like here? Hannah's conversing with someone and, like, starts coughing and then has to excuse herself or something. It's and, just like, boom! And it's like... And as much as I, I, I appreciate J. Robert King's uh, it, 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 entertaining writing, this is a red flag. It's like, what, come on, dude. You couldn't have... Breadcrumbs. Breadcrumbs. Give, give me some foreshadowing here. Yes. Anyways, so um, I think maybe she got it when they were on Wrath or something. I don't know. Whatever. So Hannah fell to the deck of Weatherlight, unconscious, and Orm quickly tended to the mysterious wound on her abdomen. I like this picture of them. Yeah, Rebecca Gay. Hell yeah. Yeah. She's uh she's one of my faves. Many people's faves, I'm sure. Yeah, she's um she's fantastic. Yeah, I hope nothing bad ever happens to her. I hope it doesn't turn out that like she's a predator, because that would be bad. Like that and, other guy. And, and what is like it? There's another artist. Guys. I think I think I think her name is Sam Gay. But um They're not related. They're they're not related, but she did study under Rebecca Gay. So they've yeah. got a sim they've well, got a similar vibe. Well, it's probably like Smith over there. Yeah. <laughs> Just a bunch of gays. <laughs> it's G-U-A-Y, but yes, it's, we, we are pronouncing it correctly. Uh, so, Tabo seethed with anger as she watched the airship escape, but her victory over Benalia was secure, and her master would, would reward her with the greatest command of the war, Koilos. So she headed back to her command cruiser and made contact with the stronghold. By that point in the conflict, the fight still raged in Yavimea, Shiv, Jamora, and Keld, and the Phyrexians still hadn't found Teleria, which was, next to Koilos, the most important target on the plane. Um, and just in case anyone forgets what Koilos is, it's like the... Um, it's where the, the like permanent portal to from Dominaria to Phyrexia originally was. Uh, I guess the most recent 
time we talked about it was in our um, The Thran series. So, speaking of Talaria, Urza and Baron were, at that moment, on the island to awaken the two Metathran generals of the bioengineered army that Urza planned to use against the Phyrexians. Most Metathran were designed to blindly follow orders, but the two generals, named Thaddeus and Agnate, which is kind of an interesting, like, I don't know, those names don't really seem to, like, jive together for me, but... Regardless, um, they were both designed and trained to have a symbiotic, almost telepathic connection that depended on the other to function. Once trained, Urza placed them in protective capsules in an extreme slow time bubble until the invasion arrived. And arrived, it had. Oh. Much like the garden center in <laughs> spring. Oh my word. <laughs> and those mysterious aisles. Hey, just... Come on. <laughs> who's, who's IT on that one? Let me get you started on it again. <laughs> With their generals awake, they got to work preparing the rest of the Metathran troops for the trip to Koilos. I like those little troops. Look at them. They're, they're just dapper trooping outfits. along. They got their hair. They're like they're like little wizards. It's like, you're a wizard, Harry. Like, there's a they're... rainbow? It's a, you're a rainbow wizard. Harry. Yeah, they got this fun, like... Uh... Like big hair, it's like um, it's like Einstein hair. No, no, not Einstein. Like a Bride of Frankenstein yeah. hair. And there's red ones and blue ones and green ones, and they're wearing these <laughs> dapper army kind of outfits. Well, they are all blue. It's just kind of. I think it's like the gradient of like maybe the sun rising or setting oh. in this image. Well, it's pretty. It is pretty, and it's fun too because it is. You know, they're all different colors, and they are all um, like they they can't procreate, and they were designed to be kind of like asexual and um, uh, what's the androgynous? Yes, thank you. Um, and their guns are all out, and they look nice. Oh, they're popping those guns for sure. Yeah, you got to. So, with that taken care of, Baron headed to Keld, where an invasion was beginning, and Urza left for parts unknown. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> and as a small refresher, uh, the original portal opened by Dyfed was located in the Caves of Koilos, the very same ones known as the Caves of the Damned, um, going again, going back to the Thran series. And over the centuries, it had been opened and closed during various events we've covered um, but by this point in the story, Yogmoth had successfully opened and stabilized the portal once more. Uh, he had also prepared legions of Phyrexians that at that point waited on the other side of the portal, uh, on the first, first sphere of Phyrexia, and Sabo Tavek was on her way to take command of them as they emerged. It was her reward for conquering Benalia. So complete was her victory that she was made second in command to the entire invasion, answering only to Krovax himself. Krovax. Yeah. Throwback. Throwback. Throwbacks. <laughs> <laughs> she traveled at top speed in her personal fighter, a vessel, <laughs> a vessel that flew. That was a good sound effect. Thanks. I know I kind of make fun of your sound effects, but that was sincerely a good one. A vessel that flew faster than any other Phyrexian ship, bore more armor, and had a ray cannon for each of her legs. Which is like eight <laughs> eight cannons. Its Likes main body was days, <laughs> that's right. Its main body was the Spider Woman's piloting bulb. The rest was a drive core and metal deadliness. Rare. 
She could lead her armada from the vessel, replacing a traditional command crew, but at that point she arrived without her armada, for they were busy hunting down the last vermin in Benalia and needed her no longer. As she crossed the defile and approached the caves, she reflected on all that had transpired on the historical location and hungered for the destruction that was coming to Dominaria. Tabo Tavik had one job now, to keep the portal open, and she knew, just as Krovax and Yogmoth did, that Urza would throw everything he had at Koilos to close that portal for good. She thought about that as she watched tens of thousands of Phyrexian troops pass through the portal into Dominaria. And like I mentioned earlier, the fight was still raging in other regions of the plain, namely Yavamea, where Multani, with Gaia's help, had actually turned the legions of Phyrexians attacking the forest into wooden minions that the forest spirit could control. Not to mention the introduction of the mighty Kavu to the fight, more savage creatures that Gaia could control. With that development, and bolstering his army, Maltani was creating quite the headache for the commander in charge of pacifying the forest. Once the remaining populace of the forest saw what was happening, they resolved to fight alongside their new allies, and Yavamea became the first dominarian victory in the war. Hell yeah. Maltani's yeah. dope. Yeah. By that point, Weatherlight and her crew had lost their Phyrexian pursuit. Unfortunately, Orem had determined the cause of Hannah's state and what it was doing to her body. She explained that even after cleansing her wounds, applying opiates, and attempting every spell and meditation she had at her disposal, none of it was having an effect on the Phyrexian plague that was ravaging Hannah's body. Then Gerard watched as Orem expertly changed Hannah's bandage. First, she revealed the wound for all to see, stretching from her hip bone to the first rib. She, As she removed the last of the gauze wrapping, a great weighty gob came loose. <laughs> Crimson blood and black rot were mixed on the packing. The wound was a canyon in Hannah's stomach. Ouch. It hadn't started that. It start. It hadn't started out that way. But in an attempt to remove the corruption, Orem had cut away the rot. But it was too late. The plague was spreading into her limbs, and without some kind of intervention, she would die. It's at this point in the story that I'm wondering why Urza wouldn't just heal her, because as far as I know, planeswalkers could heal any mortal wound. For intrigue. Uh, yeah. So it's a, it's yeah. a plot device. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Of course. Uh, shortly after that, Weatherlight encountered a ragtag group of Benelish airships that had escaped the Phyrexians, and Gerard took them on as his own small flotilla. As they followed Weatherlight away from Benalia, they noticed a black mass on the horizon coming toward them. It was another Phyrexian cruiser practicing the nefarious business of turning the local merfolk into zombie-like creatures. Ooh. The cruiser was firing mechanical spines into the water below, and those spines attached themselves to, the, to unsuspecting merfolk, replacing their natural spines and killing them in the process, not unlike the control rods that both Greven and Erte sported by this point. Hmm. Another uh, blast from the past. Anyway, the sight infuriated Gerard, that and everything he'd been through over the past few days, so he ordered Weatherlight in a strafing run, and he and his flotilla took the cruiser down with, little, with a little help from the merfolk below. Then they continued heading south, away from Benalia, which brings us back to Yavamea, where Multani was praising Gaia for aiding the forest in their recent victory. 
And it was at that moment when the forest spirit was waltzing through the forest, enjoying himself, just enjoying himself, <laughs> that an idea intruded. A perfect creature walked the land, but not in Yavamea. Through Gaia's connection to the natural world, she showed him that the creature in question walked in Lanawar, another massive dominarian forest located much closer to Benalia and on an entirely different landmass than Yavamea. The creature Multani sensed was an elf with a spirit that had been forged in a great red furnace and tempered by war a man with the relentless perfection of a dream but he was real wow. he was Eladomri. <gasps> hell yeah 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 he's back so we last saw him in our nemesis series when he'd escaped wrath with takara and lynn civi in tow and by this point in the story he had been on dominaria for nearly a month He'd also gathered somewhat of an army, drifters and passerbys mostly, not unlike the group of people that followed Forrest Gump across America. What are you? What? Tom Hanks, what are you going to do? Yeah, he's good. <clears throat> 1994, good movie year. <laughs> anyway, by that point... <laughs> By that point, he was arriving at the elven kingdom that ruled Lanamore to heed the warning of invasion, which was at the same time that Multani traveled to meet him, assuming rightly that Eladomri's warning would fall on deaf ears. And this part is actually pretty cool because Multani was um, a spirit. He needed um, uh, fauna to manifest himself physically. So to travel to Lanamore, he rode o above the ocean waves on currents of pollen until he arrived on solid ground once again. Then he moved through the fields and bushes until he reached Lanamore and the elven palace where Elidomri was entering the throne room. So Takara and Lin Sivi accompanied him but stayed behind as he approached the king's dais. Kneeling in front of the elf king, Elidomri spoke. He's speaking. I have come to serve you, Majesty. Is this a lady? Uh, no, it's a uh, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's an elf. It's an elf king, if that helps. An elf man king. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hashtag elf king. <laughs> <laughs> From all I have heard, I thought you would expect me to bow to you. I expect nothing of any of you except that you fight when the fiends fall from the sky. Ah, uh, yes, the prophecies. Fiends. <laughs> they are not prophecies. They are only reports. I am not a prophet, only a man who has seen the armies that are coming. In my former world, I united three tribes and led them to revolt against these Phyrexian killers. Here, I do not wish to lead anyone, only to provide what help I may against a common foe. And what sort of help could you be? I can tell you how they will fight. I can tell you that only warriors must remain above. The rest must abandon this palace. It and all other great structures in the canopy will be attacked first. At this last remark, the king ordered his guards to take Elidomri and his companions prisoner, also stating <laughs> that they would never leave the canopy. Everybody's always what, like, right? ah, ah, these visitors, ah, arrest them. <laughs> yeah, just arrest them. <laughs> Without any other resource, Multani made himself known and supported what Eladomri had said. And wouldn't you know it, the king ordered Multani to arrest him too. <laughs> yeah, just arrest that spirit guy. 
<laughs> Put them in cuffs. <laughs> <laughs> but it was too late, because just then, thousands of small portals opened above Lanawar. Through them dropped tens of thousands of plague bombs. Oh, shit. It didn't take long for one of the bombs to tear through the canopy above and into the elven palace. When it detonated, it released the elven plague designed by Yogmoth himself and melted the king's flesh from his bones, killing him instantly, not to mention several other elves. Ah, oh, yes. Ouch. The plague bombs. <laughs> <laughs> Send these plague bombs to the dungeon. <laughs> Take them prisoner. Arrest well, them. If, <laughs> arrest these plague bombs. <clears throat> then shouts to go below echoed through the canopy as Multani, Eladomri, Takara, and Lin Sivi did all they could to save as many people as possible. That's nice. Yeah, well, they're, they're heroes. First, Lin Sivi used her Toten Vec to climb to the top of the palace and defend falling uh, and deflect falling plague bombs while Elodomri led elves down a set of winding stairs beneath the palace. For Takara's part, she helped confused elves find their way to the top of the stairs, hopefully ferrying them to safety. I don't know where oh, to what's go. What's going on? <laughs> I'm confused. Okay, go on. <laughs> Lin Sivi could only deflect so many bombs, and she missed the fifth one. It's like, man, after four, I'm suspended. I'm tapped. <laughs> Allowing it to penetrate the palace. Worse still, the bomb's blast collapsed a wall in the palace below, crushing Takara and a group of elves she was trying to save. R.I.P. Takara. No. Yeah, she's, she, this time she's actually dead. Wow. Oh. She's not a shapeshifter at this time. It's, it. it's the real deal. You're not going to believe it? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, this isn't going to come up again. I never so. trust <laughs> Uh, yeah, after the, um, oh, what was that? When we thought Stark was dead, but it was actually Volrath. Right. Yeah. That After that, you don't trust? No. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so, Lin Sivy had time to make it to the stairs and descend with the rest of the surviving elves before more bombs fell. While Elodomri descended with the refugees, Multani moved through Lanawar, awakening the spiders of the forest, commanding them to spin their webs to protect the canopy from the bombs. And it was pretty effective. Cool. That was right about the time that Weatherlight and her Benelish flotilla arrived over Lanawar. The crew's first instinct was sh to shoot at the rapidly opening portals because Weatherlight certainly couldn't fit through them. When that didn't work, Hannah had the idea to plane shift into them thinking that Weatherlight's larger and more powerful portal would discombobulate the smaller ones. She was right, and after Weatherlight plane shifted to Wrath, the plague bombs ceased falling on Lanamor because the plane shift reversed the bomb's portals, and they were now falling on the troops gathered on the Plains of Wrath. Mm. Nice. But Hannah's condition was worsening, and after her momentary ingenuity, she fell comatose and bleeding on Weatherlight's deck. It's like, get, get this woman some medicine. Why isn't she laying down? Oh, she's, she, oh, she's busy. <laughs> Ursa is standing over her like, get up. Get up <laughs> Come <dude>. on. <laughs> Fucking Ursa. <laughs> so it wasn't looking good for her, and without a navigator, it would take time for Karn and Sisse to calculate their next plane shift, meaning that they were on the run from another Phyrexian armada. Weatherlight took some shots, but all in all, they were successful in evading their enemies. But when the time came for the next plane shift, Orem, who had been tending to Hannah, shouted through the speaking tube to Karn to wait. During their next short trip to Wrath, she watched as the plague bombs fell on the Phyrexian troops, crushing some on impact, but killing none when the white fog they released spread across their ranks. 
She had tried to cure Hannah with all manner of magic at her disposal, and she realized if the plague killing her was Phyrexian, a cure might lie in the same Phyrexian biology, the troops. <clears throat> a cure might lie in the same Phyrexian biology that protected the troops from the plague bombs. Mm. So, in order to get some, she and Tongarth released Weatherlight's anchor and impaled four Phyrexian troopers with it before plane shifting back to Dominaria. Okay. And then, you know, like... Reined in the matter. Reined in the... And then got the bodies and, you know, she's getting to work on those bodies. She's like, what's going on with these bodies? <laughs> so, back on Dominaria, our old pal Baron wasn't having too good of a time either. Oh, man. Baron's had it rough. Yeah, he's having a rough time. And he has to hang out with hers all the time. No, I'm kidding. God. Yeah. Yeah. After fighting a losing battle in Keld, the Mage Master was summoned to Shiv by Urza. The two men waited for the next portal to open over the mana rig. Longtime listeners of the show will remember the rig from our Time Stream series, but essentially it was a Thran relic and the only source of Urza's Power Stone production. Without it, he could no longer produce weapons to fight Phyrexia. Anyway, Urza and Baron watched as a giant black portal opened in the sky above the rig, a portal large enough to accommodate three Phyrexian cruisers. As the ships emerged from the portal, Urza said, The Metathran ships are en route. Until they arrive, it's you and me, kid. No, it's you and me, friend. <laughs> I'm probably going to leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> Look! <laughs> <laughs> The most Arr. important line Riley has ever done. <laughs> Look it! <laughs> the three cruisers blazed with sudden flame as hundreds of giant dragons swarmed them. Just dragons coming out. Rami Darigaz had been waiting with his <laughs> oh, dragon Rami. crew to oh. attack the cruisers, but despite their numbers and size, they were puny compared to the Phyrexian ships, so they quickly broke off their attack and fled. Yeah, Rami's Rami Dariga. Rami. Back again. And if you remember from our, um, I think it was Time Streams series, Rami Dariga's mother, Jerry Dariga. <laughs> Rami and Jerry, that's right. <laughs> oh, man. So it was only a diversion, though. Something Baron and Urza realized as they watched the rig do things they'd never seen before. Oh, boy. <laughs> Intercourse. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Panels atop one of the manor rig's domes shifted aside and slid down into pockets, allowing four huge tubes to extend slowly up from the gaps in the dome. Aiming at the lead cruiser, the tubes expelled lava skyward. It was erupting. Yeah. The combined lava jet rose to its peak, arcing and raining molten rock down on the lead cruiser. Fires flared on the ship, and subsequent explosions threw away some of the lava as more piled on. The lead cruiser began to explode, and as a result, the two other cruisers were sprayed with lava and glistening oil, an incendiary combination, if ever there was one. Man, that's some incendiary spunk. <laughs> it's, it's erupting. Um... <laughs> So, so in the end, the three cruisers met the Shivan Desert in a massive fireball, and it seemed to Baron that they might not need his and Urza's help after all. But the rig's lava-shooting abilities would only keep larger vessels out of the sky, and just then, thousands of smaller Phyrexian ships and dragon engines emerged from the portal to lay siege to the rig. 
That's when Urza and Baron got involved, but they made little difference as the protective fields that surrounded the rig began to fail, and just when it seemed like the smaller Phyrexian ships would break through, part of the rig began to rise on huge articulated legs, the domed parts of the relic separated to fight on their own. Just then, another cruiser emerged from the portal, and the rig used two of its massive legs to pull to pull it from the sky, nose first, into Shiv's rocky face. Damn. Then the rig's lava tubes fired again, this time aiming at the portal, as it gushed into the throat of the black hole. Oh no, it didn't! It poured oh, smoke. Stop it. <laughs> it poured smoke. <laughs> like, what? Oh my word. Yeah, have a sip. Oh my word. Have a sip and think about what you wrote. <laughs> so it poured smoke and flame and suddenly slammed shut then urza and baron and the newly arrived teferi took care of the remaining vessels the fight over baron and urza reunited with their former student and current overseer of the rig joyra of the gitu hey she was the one who discovered all the secrets of the rig during her millennia managing it she had also had frequent visits from Teferi during their preparation for the invasion, and he had convinced her to let him phase Shiv out of existence until the war was over. Urza was outraged by this, but Teferi explained that the spell was already in motion. Rami Darigaz, I w- man, I miss Jerry, yeah. was also, uh, Rami Darigaz was also against phasing as he had prepared for the invasion by uniting the dragon tribes of Dominaria, also known as the Dragon Nation. So he, his dragons, Urza and Baron, left Shiv before it phased from existence, another casualty of war. Only time would tell. And that's where we'll pick back up for the conclusion of invasion. Hey! Hey, yo. So next time we're going to get back into uh, what's... Uh, the the Metathrine being deployed, the the final battle of the war uh, at the desert of Koilos, and um, uh, we might meet some new friends, but uh, some old friends are definitely gonna you know. Didn't Teferi have? <laughs> like, wasn't he Jonesen for Joyra? Right, but you know, I think they just. I, I think maybe they. You it's know how past. sometimes you're Jones, Jonesing for someone, and then when the time comes to actually. Uh, you know, Jones. erupt. Mm. That there's just not a lot of chemistry. Sure, that that can happen, right? Like you could be good at flirting, but when it actually becomes to like you know, kind of erupting, there's not a lot of chemistry. Erupting. Sorry, I'm just trying to get um, you know, like, and I I want you guys to know, like, I'm not this good of a writer. A lot of this is J. Robert King, and I'm just kind of you know when he's talking about some. Um, Deep throating and right, a and portal bursting and yeah, and like shoot, spewing and shooting, shooting and um, you know the the lava shooting abilities <laughs> <laughs> would only keep the larger vessels out of the sky. Yeah, uh huh. Um, but you know we're just trying to have some fun here. We're just having yeah. a, I'm just, a good time. You know I'm just trying to I'm trying to tell tell you the story. Maybe have a few laughs and make you laugh as well. Yeah, yeah. Let's not take the story too seriously. No, I mean, I always do. These <laughs> Magic the Gathering fantasy <laughs> novels, they are like my uh, testament text. It's, it's good stuff. It's yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. And uh, Ainsley and Riley, thank you for your 
your voice work. And thank you to myself. I think that Baron voice is gonna is, is really gonna. Be I don't know. Riley's good. Baron when he yelled "Look" was uh, that was sorry to was, beat. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. And it's nice to have Eladomri back as well. We're gonna have to see what uh, what he does. Yeah, everything's kind of coming together with uh, with Invasion. We're getting you know all the stories we've talked about are kind of coming to fruition. And again, this is just the first part of Invasion. We have like two more books in this cycle after this that's gonna kind of be the entire invasion and, and the you know the deciding war for Dominaria. Is Karn in it more? Yeah. Yay. Awesome. He's in it more yeah, as we progress. I love Karn. Yeah. Um but uh Karn's sad. Like I said, we'll <laughs> we'll be we'll be back with uh with the conclusion to this story um in a little bit and uh we'll talk to you then. Just keep on shooting, keep on scooting. Yeah. If you're going to erupt, make sure you clean up afterwards. That's all we ask. (laughs) All right. Bye-bye, everybody. See ya. Bye. Forgotten lore.